Uh, excuse me. This is my show, not yours. Okay, now that they're gone, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome to People Data Insights. This is Paul Ryman, and joining me once again is Brian Briscoe. Say hello, Brian. Hey there, Paul Ryman. Well, it's good to have you, Brian. Uh, today, we're talking about one of our favorite things to talk about, uh, which is the robots um, and the use of artificial intelligence and the underpinnings of that within HR. We talked about this a little bit in, our, in episode one around hype and whether this is something that's all hype or all reality. And we agreed there's some reality here. So we, let's talk about it a little bit more and see where it goes. So the intent here is to define it again, be clear about what we're talking about, and then just get into some examples about what do we see that's good and, and some specific risks that we want to call out about artificial intelligence for HR. Sound like fun? That sounds delightful. Delightful. I know at one point you made the comment uh, in a presentation we were giving that, look, at this point, I'm just trying to outrun the robots, right? Yeah. <laughs> just trying to stay a little bit ahead. I actually saw I saw a tweet uh, just today. Um, you know, with the the there's been you know for for those who aren't aware, there's been a recent release of a, a large language model, a chat bot, essentially ChatGPT on OpenAI. Um, and there's been some interesting examples out there. And and one person tweeted, they're like, if you're not saying please and thank you when you are asking you know, chat GPT, a question, then you clearly haven't watched enough science fiction <laughs> to know what comes next. If you're not nice to the robots, yeah. um, I'm like, Oh, it's a good point. Like, I don't know how this thing's going to come back and get me someday. I feel like that's the plot of most of the movies in the last 20 years is uh, what happens when we're not nice to the computer. The world of artificial intelligence brings that to the forefront for sure. Um, I also saw, actually, I don't know if I saw it. I think I heard it. And now that I'm thinking about it, I may have heard it from you, which is, I don't know how much I'm worried about artificial intelligence. I, I think I'd rather find some some actual intelligence first. <laughs> like, like, are we really at the stage where we're worried about artificial intelligence in HR? Let's just start with being smart ourselves. Certainly, there's plenty going on in the space of, of AI. Um, I know you, you've got a, a wonderfully controversial uh, way of talking about it. Um, for those who didn't hear episode one, do you want to refer back uh, or just make people go back and listen to the original uh, episode? Go back. I think that's good, good cross-marketing. You'll have to go back and, and see why we're talking about this because this was, this was clearly the item that, that doesn't have the, least, the, the most hype uh, or it's not the most overhyped topic, but... Uh, you can go back and find clever quotes, maybe in an HR setting, maybe not. It's really code for Brian not wanting to be on record talking about uh, teenage sex in multiple episodes. So I'll just put that out there. But yeah, you got to go back and listen to episode one to get the reference that there. Made it sound so much worse. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, just trying to be real. Yeah. Any other good AI jokes or quips out there, Brian? Things that uh, you always like to comment when talking about artificial intelligence? Yeah, you know, I think there's that, you know, 
like if you're debating the value of artificial intelligence, it should at least be better than human stupidity. Um, you know, there's a couple <laughs> things like that that, uh, you know, I, I think we always have to remember. And, and of course, I, I'm sure as we talk about this, there's plenty of movie references and scenes that we can drop in uh, as we go through this. But, uh, you know, we can, let's go ahead and dive in, Paul. I think. Let's do it. So... Th- we did a little bit of a definition in uh, episode one around the hype of, of AI as well, but let's re- let's go a little bit deeper. So in that episode, and I'll just recap it quickly, we talked about how artificial intelligence is really the application of you know some some math, right? Using data to observe patterns, to learn rules, and create um, a way of approaching a problem that can be observed in data, and then applying that to other situations. So again, paraphrase, but Brian, why don't you kick off and, and talk a little bit about the history of machine learning, right? Machine learning being sort of the mathematical principles or mathematical actions that most of what we're talking about in, in AI for HR is, is predicated upon. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, the history of machine learning and uh, where that came from? Yeah, so, and if you think about what's the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, intelligence has got to come from somewhere, and so learning is usually how you get it. And so that's it's the machine learning part. That's that's kind of the simple way to think about this. So machine learning is a term that is credited to uh, to Arthur Samuel, who was kind of a, a mathematician, uh, sciency, you know, kind of a STEM guy before STEM was cool. The OG of STEM, I guess, if you if you want to think about that. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to learn these cool terms, but, uh, so back in like the 1950s, Arthur Samuel being such a, you know, this was before being a nerd was as lucrative as it is today. Um, but, uh, he liked to play checkers on his like lunch break and he, uh, either didn't have a lot of friends or they were not nearly smart enough to play him and make it challenging. So he would play checkers by himself and then. He had access to this computer, and he started saying, well, I bet I can write a, a program to uh, to play checkers with me so I'm not, you know, you know, standing up and walking to the other side of the table and pretending to be somebody else and have a conversation. You know, all those, like, awkward moments, and I'm sure people were probably kind of, like, laughing at him and that type of thing. So he was like, I'll make a computer friend because that's what, you know, any good nerd would do. Um, is, you know, when, when other people are laughing at you, is you, you decide to make friends with an inanimate object. So he programs this computer to, uh, to play checkers. And so he writes an algorithm, and then he goes and plays the computer, and he's like, well, I can beat the computer because I wrote the algorithm. Like, you know, he trained it how to play, so he knew everything that the thing was going to do. So then... You know, he goes back a couple days, and this is not like coding today where you can do things. You know, it's like, you know, punch cards and feeding all these things into, you know, I mean, it's computers the size of uh, houses with vacuum tubes and all that type of thing. So he builds another program that basically, uh, you know, has different strategies and things and and allows the computer to, to sort of randomly pick between them so he doesn't know what it's doing. But he still knows sort of what that library of strategies are um and so he keeps trying doing different things but he's a really smart guy and he can't teach the computer to be smarter than him so what he finally decides to do is to let the computer start playing checkers against itself so rather than him tell it you know if this move then do this move 
uh, he started saying, well, I'll tell you what, computer, you pretend that you're the red, the red side, computer, you pretend you're the black side, and just start playing, and start recording the outcomes of those games. So he would have the computer play a game, it would record the outcome and say red one, and then he'd you know it'd play another game and it'd say black one, and then it would do another one, black wins again, red wins again, so forth. Well, the computer starts to learn what strategies actually work. So, like, what are the sequence of events? And so he trains the, the he lets the computer play itself until the computer eventually uh, kind of knows based on the move that he's making what the most likely outcome of a of a winning game would look like as far as that next move after that. So he programs it all. He can't. He can no longer beat the computer at checkers, and that was kind of the beginning of machine learning and artificial intelligence, where um, a programmer created a, a set of scenarios that uh, allowed the computer to beat him uh, without any other, you know, sort of input. You know, he didn't have to find a smarter programmer to write a better program. Uh, the computer just sort of learned it. So that's kind of the beginning yeah. of machine learning. Yeah. I, I have to, to jump into an extent, right? Whenever my wife and I compare stories about what life was like when we were in college, they always end with her going, gosh, you're such a nerd. And whenever I hear you talk about somebody playing checkers with themselves, I feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> that I feel like there are other people who clearly are as uh, awkward as perhaps I was at, at a certain point in time. Maybe still am for that matter. Um, but I can, I'm just picturing playing checkers with myself, which is kind of an interesting, you know, thing to think about yeah. before computers, right? He had to make it. Yeah. Um, so obviously a few things have changed since the fifties, uh, when Arthur Samuel was, was playing checkers, uh, with himself and with the, with the machine, right. You know, that, that have greatly advanced the, the pace of development here. And I mean, the, the creation of machine learning in the fifties, and it's not like this is a concept that you heard about a lot in the 80s or even in the 90s. It was there. But a tremendous amount of innovation has occurred in recent times around machine learning. And that's partly you know, due to, I would say, three things. Chime in if you think there's others. But one is more data is being captured. Um, so the, you know, just like the punch cards have, have evolved, like the storing information has gotten cheaper and more regular. So there's more data to train a model. Um, second is the computing power. Of course, Moore's Law talking about how computing power has increased. In, <laughs> that's not linear. And as a result, you know, we're able to process more of that data that we are capturing very real time and, and with great power now. And then the third is, in part because of those prior two, is the creation of tools that make it easy to, to, to start these things, right? Like, of course, there's still a lot of science and a lot of math behind it. But really, you don't have to know that much science or math to start to do it now. Because there's open source tools available, you know, for free to just go and grab and start doing the work if you know how to push a couple of buttons. So... You know, a lot of that has really accelerated even in the past five years. Uh, you know, certainly there's been steps along the way, but just an incredible amount of innovation in the past few years that have just greatly accelerated the course of, of the power and abilities of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Would you say there's anything else that's sort of unique, that's changed, that's evolved beyond sort of amounts of data, you know, processing power and the creation of tools? I think that's that pretty much summarized. I think the processing power piece is, is a pretty huge one. 
uh, just because as, uh, as one of my friends would put it whenever we talk about machine learning, he would, uh, very, very smart man would say, oh, it's just like iterative statistics to simulate a logistic regression. And I would always be like, okay, I gotta go Google what a logistic regression is again. Like, yeah, that's what it is. Um, but it is, you know, it's running, you know, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think about like kind of Monte Carlo analysis and some of those things, uh, might, you know, people that have, uh, people that like watching, you know, poker tournaments and those things. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of running statistics of what are those possibilities and what are those probabilities, but run, you know, millions and millions of times across all different types of scenarios. It's really just, you know, a computer processing issue. Um, you know, it's, it's so much easier to do now when we have more power in our phones than what, you know, the computing power of the 1990s, like, uh, you know, what companies had uh, for their entire corporation. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, yeah, you, you've covered it. Yeah, I mean, that's the way to think about it, right? If you think about the, you know, what Arthur Samuel essentially was doing, right? Like, imagine playing every possible game of checkers that there is right like that's the yeah. way that the 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 modeling essentially works so if it took you know i'll just make up numbers on the fly right if it takes a second to calculate every move possible then it's going to take a long time because while checkers is a relatively simple game the number of possible combinations is very high um but as the number of as the amount of time to calculate a move goes from a second to a hundredth of a second, now you can run through all possible combinations faster, right? I mean, that's not exactly how it all works, but it's kind of how it all yep. works um, enough that it. That's why that computing power makes such a big difference <clears throat> in in how these things are deployed. Yep. So let's talk about some examples. Let's let's just play out what are some good examples of of machine learning and AI in action, you know, both outside of our HR domain and then a couple within and what we're seeing there. Um, I'll start with one. I'll let you chime in with the others here. But, you know, the, the first or the one that I always find, one, the most successful and two, the most prevalent in my life are the kind of matching algorithms that exist on, you know, shopping sites, Amazon most notably. Um, it's amazing to me when I log into Amazon, how good it is at suggesting things that it knows I should buy. And it's not because I've looked for that thing. It's because, you know, there's only certain types of people that buy books about HR analytics uh, <laughs> and other things. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, the other five people in the world that share your interests also bought this. I mean, it's more than five, but um, it's tremendous at understanding based on the patterns of clicks and shopping that I've done what other things I might want to buy, right? So those matching algorithms saying, if these things are true, then this might also be true. You might also want to buy this. I think that's a great example. I mean, some people are creeped out by it. I work with somebody who deliberately had his whole family share one Amazon account to, in his words, confuse the robots. Um, I think it's fantastic that it recommends things for me. It helps, it, it simplifies my life, brings joy to me that it recommends things that are proven to work out. Um, so I, I think that's a that's a great example of sort of the, you know machine learning in action. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure every time you buy a book, my Amazon is like, hey, that other dude that likes that stuff bought this book too. <laughs> like you're one of yeah, the five. Yeah, like I'm I seriously uh, have had Amazon like recommend things, and you're like, yeah, I was reading this book. I was like, I probably should have known better because 
Um, yeah, it it is. That one, I agree. That one's a that one's a great one that sort of impacts all of us. And I think a lot of times people forget that it's there or, or why it's happening or you know how that all synthesizes things together. Yeah. Another fun example I mentioned earlier, this uh, from OpenAI, the new chat GPT that's out there, um, which is just conversational AI. Right? You literally ask it questions and it answers them. Um, it's so early. I mean, it was just released last week. Um, but I, I am actually quite sure that it can put um, consultants out of business <laughs> um, because it's great at playing back the general factors that most people know anyway. <laughs> and and two, it begins and ends every one of its responses with it yeah. depends. I kid you not. If you go and ask it like a business question, right? Like, how do you create salary ranges for a comp structure? Well, it depends on a number of factors. And then it'll give you the five things that everybody in HR knows, and then it'll end with it. But you'll want to make sure you customize that for the organization. Yeah. Like, it's phenomenal at basically taking the words out of my yeah. So, so then does it ask you for like $100,000 at the end? And It's not that conversational. It just, uh, it just spits it back at you and asks for your feedback. Was this a good answer? <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't ask you for money yet. It will. It will soon. Yes. What, what, are, what are your favorite uh, or what are interesting applications of, of ML or artificial intelligence that you've come across? Wow. That one, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a lot, you know, like there's obviously like the reviews. So like, you know, you talk about books on Amazon and I probably talk about, you know, movies on Netflix because that's probably the difference in our uh, level of nerdiness is I need, you know, I need, I need an audio visual component because reading is hard. Um, but I think, you know, even some of the stuff that's happening with Google or, uh, you know, like, like little features that are popping up in places. Like one of the things that I was kind of thrown back by this morning is our, our, uh, our friend Diane Ald was doing some training with my team this morning and you know, like, just like the autofill stuff, um, like the, the fast fill stuff in Excel, I'm like, I'm kind of amazed at the pattern recognition that it does with no inputs. Mm. You know, there's a lot like, and if you haven't played around with that, uh, I'll do a plug for Diane if you don't mind, Paul, but like, I don't mind at all. It, it was great that, uh, uh, you know, just seeing like, you know, like, uh, versus having to write formulas, you could sort of like take a pattern of, you could take a whole series of data and type in words or say like, I just want the first name from this column. So I'll just put like Dave in the first thing and I'll look over at the next column and go, Oh, it wasn't Dave, you know, Smith. He just wanted Dave. So I'll fill in the rest of the column with all the first names from that other column. You know, like those kind of little, those little things that just make life better. Yep. You know, I'd also put in like the, uh, you know, the Google autocomplete is probably one of the things that we all have come accustomed to use. I mean, well, heck, even uh, text chatting, uh, you know, the, the autocomplete stuff where, you know, I start typing in, you know, whatever question in Google and it finishes it for me. Uh, that's that's clever. The, the text messages, you know all of the responses that I have to send back to, uh, to people, you know, it, it usually knows the next words that I need if I'm trying to do a text message on the fly. I think a lot of that stuff that's, that's 
grabbed like very basic transactional tasks are probably actually making our life easier. Whereas if you showed this to somebody, you know, if we took a time machine back 10 years, you'd go like this stuff does what? Like it would seem like, you know, magic that we kind of take for granted right now. Yeah, totally. I know the autocomplete, um, you played a fun game uh, prior to a presentation we were giving at a conference where you had people open their phone, start a text message, and then type. I think it was, I don't remember what the lead in. It was essentially like, I came to this conference so that, and then click the first word that it suggests. Yeah. <laughs> and keep clicking that first word and see what sentence it is. And then we had people read out the where the robots absolutely completed the sentence, but didn't exactly get the intents right. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was pretty funny, but it, it was an interesting example of how, you know, the, the machines were trying to predict what were now, of course, picking just the first word is nonsensical, but you know, it was trying to predict what words might be helpful. And we just had a little bit of fun with that. Obviously we did have fun with that. I think I also probably learned lessons about being careful with that. Cause not, you know, a lot of people started volunteering to read and I, don't, you know, um, oh, like we'll put it this way. A lot of people don't realize that that learning algorithm is learning from what they're typing in all their other text messages. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and there was maybe a message or two that was like, like, oh, maybe that's not as, <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't as HR appropriate as I was hoping for, but they thought it was hilarious that, that certain words. That's were- right. We're coming in. Look what the robots made me say. Even yeah, really, yeah. Look what the, look what the robots made. know you commonly say. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. We, had, we laughed it off. We Nobody a, noticed. We had a great time and it was fantastic. But, uh, but yeah, it is, you know, I, yeah, some people think that that autocorrect is like that everybody's iPhone gives you the same thing. No, it is very tailored to the words you use, which is why it sounds like you. Correct. Mine even knows the difference between uh, it took forever, but um, it it finally learned that when I say HSA, I don't mean has spelled wrong, (laughs) right? Like I actually want it to say HSA. It took it took a while, but now my autocorrect gets it. Yeah. Um, So what? Let's talk about some HR specific examples of of this in action, and there are there are some that are. Um, quite powerful, I think. Um, a few that I'll toss out and let me know if you see others. You know, one is around recommendations and learning systems. So most modern learning systems are pretty good at saying, well, hey, others who took this course, you know, then accomplished something, right? So it's going to suggest that course to other people or this course was highly rated. It's not just that, but it's seeing that other outcomes are occurring or other people in the same job that you share, assuming the learning system knows that, took this course so you should probably take this course too so it's just using the same you know amazon matching algorithms but applying it to you know the learning paths within a learning system so i those are actually quite mature and i think working pretty well in in large organizations um another one a quick shout out for my friends at at workday um, around their opportunity graph so it's you know basically saying well people who are in roles like you have progressed in this way or here are roles that you might grow into so it's learning from the actual patterns of data from people who have moved through your job structures and you know recommending what you might be interested in as a result 
Um, so I, th- I find that a particularly interesting example. Yeah. Um, and then the, th- the third one, which is sort of, you know, going to cut both ways, and we'll talk about it shortly, is around resume down selection. So, you know, having the robots attack the applicant pool and seeing if it can surface or highlight, hey, here's a top applicant versus a non-top applicant. Um, there's plenty of promise for automation within the recruitment space because of the volume that can occur. Um, but also, we'll talk shortly here about what can go wrong with that. But that is, there's some promising and some quality work being done in some circumstances around helping you prioritize certain things versus others. Any other kind of unique, you know, examples of machine learning you've seen or artificial intelligence within within your work or with others you talk to? Yeah, so I'd say one of the things that we're, we're looking at, and I know a lot of consulting firms have been doing this over the last couple of years, but you know, more and more conversations about like skills-based pay as we're in a more transparent world, um, you know, looking at algorithms that allow you to sort of look at common skills that show up in jobs. And, and, uh, and certainly as, as we're, you know, pay transparency has been a topic. There's a number of states that are passing laws and doing things, you know, there, there's a lot of data, you know, you and I have both looked at, um, you know, like H-1B visa data. And we've used that as examples before conferences of where there's these kind of like large public data sets and people list out, you know, skills that are used for jobs and and salary ranges and those types of things. Using that type of data to say like, what are the skills that people, you know, that companies are seeking and and what are the skills that drive, you know, higher market values and and what are those things that, uh, you know, sort of make a difference between different types of jobs. You know, not not all software engineers are created. Uh, uh, you know, n- not all of those jobs are, are the same or, or require the same uh, experience. It's kind of, you know, those types of things. And so, so what is, what is that? How does that impact market value? Um, that's all coming from you know text analytics and, and and sort of learning algorithms in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the skills based uh, workforce applications into skills-based pay. Obviously, there's probably plenty to talk about in multiple episodes <laughs> around that's a very hot topic these days and a lot of investment going into it. Um, but it does seem like, you know, a skill is a, is a, is a data point. Yeah. Um, and as a result, then what models can we train around that, both in terms of performance, around pay, around, um, you know, career development, being predicted by or as a you know not an not a financial incentive but as a reason to acquire such skills because it creates different outcomes but you know i I do find the data needs to mature a little bit in terms around what is a skill yeah and and how do we codify that a bit more consistently i mean there's plenty of ontology work being done but it's still a little uh decentralized. I don't know if that's the right word but (laughs) there's not a lot of consistency you know you looked at my linkedin profile and what you know, quote unquote skills I have. And I go, really? I'm not sure that's how I would necessarily describe myself. Now, I haven't put a lot of time into building out my skill base on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, I just wonder how, how good is the data for those applications to really, yeah. you know, be intelligent about it at this stage in the game. It's terrible. Like, let's be honest, but I do believe that you know Excel and you can type at least 30 words a minute. So, <laughs> Although that's funny, like the things that I'm probably the best at aren't even on this, you know, because the skills are, I think, what people 
say that I have, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily, you know, uh, my most commonly cited skill is performance management, which is probably not what people think of me as. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and oddly, I'm not even sure, you know, analytics shows up. <laughs> um, you know, so it's just the nature of, of how the data was sourced. So I think you're right. If the data is just blah, then that creates obviously some some inability to use the data in smart ways, but certainly a lot of work's going into it without yeah. without question. Yeah. So I, I mentioned the, you know, the resume down selection is one that has plenty of promise, but it's also a perfect example and, and we'll pivot a little bit to the, you know, what do we as as HR leaders need to be watching out for? Um, you know, and, and we've done some some speaking on this and some writing on this in the past around you know, what could possibly go wrong, um, you know, with with turning the robots on things. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of start with one big one, and I know you have thoughts about it, but, you know, the, the first is it's sort of this, you know, good news, bad news, right? Good robot, bad robot around, you know, machine learning is great because it is looking at the data and finding things that humans can't necessarily see, right? It, it, can, it can play every possible move of the checker game, and say, well, this is more likely to be successful than that. So it, it, it can process all of that information. The bad news is that it can find things <laughs> that you might not want it to find in the data, um, right? That there's, there's actually something in the data that it's using that creates a, a rule or a pattern, but it's not a, a pattern or a rule that you want to take action upon. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the best or one example, a real, real example from, I think, the earlier days of the application of, of ML and AI within HR. This is going back uh, probably almost seven or eight years at this point. Um, <clears throat> there was a company who was in the video interviewing space and they were applying or they were, you know, claiming to apply artificial intelligence where it would look at the candidate's interview, their video, um, and then basically compare that their their speech patterns, their behavior, their responses to the responses of your high performing workers in you know doing those interviews as well, right? So you'd say here are the you know forty people that I think are high performing engineers. I'm going to have them answer the same questions, and then this tool would compare applicants or candidates to those of the high performers and basically say here's somebody who's likely to be a high performer. Sounds great, right? The marketing pitch there is phenomenal, <laughs> right? Because all you got to do is tell your these candidates go and record a you know ten minute video answering these questions, and it's the, you know the robot is going to tell me that this person's likely to be a high performer, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, the problem is, well, who who are you giving the the robot as an example of a high performer, and what else about those people could be accidentally observed and you know, the example I gave uh, in, in a discussion with this company is, well, what about if all of your high performers happen to be, you know, um, you know, of a certain type of person? What if they're all, you know, Indian males? Well, it's going to see those patterns. <laughs> and as a result, that's going to get baked into the data set that it judges future candidates against. And that's not how we want to make decisions, obviously, right? That's not a good application of that data set. So you just have to be careful about well, what data are you feeding it? And as a result, what variables or what things might it then conclude from it? Right. Those are, uh, and that kind of gets into that whole ethical piece of all of this. That is, um, 
you know, what data are you feeding the model? And I think, um, you know, if I, if I build on what you're talking about here, Paul, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, HR people in particular have to remember is, like, learning how to beat a game of checkers is pretty clear because you have a definite win-loss tie scenario, right? Like, there's only, there's a limited number of outcomes. Like, who are your best performers could be a little, that's probably a little more squishy or subjective than, uh, you know, the binary outcome of did I win or lose a game of checkers. Um, and, and when you get into these, like, more ambiguous things, machine learning may not be, you know, there's all kinds of different machine learning algorithms, but when it's not an easy yes or no answer, or, uh, you know, if there's, if there's sort of a spectrum of, like, good, bad, perfect, ideal, you know, all of those types of answers, uh, you know, the machine learning types of algorithms uh, can run into a lot of problems. Uh, so knowing the type of problem that you have and, and what you're solving for is pretty important too. And, and what are you training against? There's even some, you know, you have to really think deeply and carefully about what seems ethical and and not a problem that can quickly become one. Sure. Um, you know, an example is, well, if you're training the data on, you know, for you're you're looking at candidates and you're training the data on resume information that's been parsed in some fashion. Well, most people have their email address on their resume. Um, well, my dad's email address ends in at AOL.com. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody younger than me or even my age who has an email address that ends in at AOL.com. Yeah. Right. So you basically have an age variable when you wouldn't necessarily make a decision off of age as a variable, but you do because that domain is there. And as the, the robots are processing this information, it's going to see that that at AOL.com text string exists on a resume. Yeah. And if somehow that has been discovered in past patterns of, oh, yeah, we never accept these people that have that email extension, like it's going to see that. Um, you know, so the, even though someone's age isn't on the resume and they may even truncate their experience where you can't even add together the years and see how many years of experience, you can discover the variable, um, you know, through other things that might correlate with and underneath. So it's a silly example, but it's, it's probably not an unreal one. Where there are things that are that seem very benign and, and fine, but can become problematic when you really think about what is it measuring behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a you know a very large tech company. Uh, I think you know uh, the comedian Mike Birbiglia talked about them as being Glamazon uh, uh, once upon a time, but they they sort of made the news a couple of years ago for that exact thing they were doing. They were look. They didn't implement it, but they looked at doing, you know, machine learning uh, on their resumes of their successful candidates, and and uh, and it sort of kind of got leaked out into the news that uh, the when they audited the machine learning model, it was excluding people that had gone to like women's colleges or that had played, you know, women's lacrosse or you know those types of. Uh, you know, there were certain variables where they were trying not to catch things based on gender, but uh, there were other, you know, markers that showed up on, on resumes and and uh, it made them have to go back and do some, you know, real work and soul searching and other HR work and that type of thing. So uh, I yep. think these are very real things that are happening in real companies. You know, 
the the domain name example that's uh that is not unrealistic at all if you really understand how these models work because uh, it looks for anything that is consistent and i you know there's probably a lot of truth between AOL versus Yahoo versus uh, if you have a Gmail, because um, I know that I get made fun of for having a Yahoo account uh, by Gmail people who call me old all the time. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot there. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the other watchouts. Um, you know, some, if it's a, a tool, you know, and I think you talked about in a past episode, you know, you get lots of calls from salespeople talking about their artificial intelligence driven solutions. Um, you know, if it's not, if the product isn't exclusively around machine learning or artificial intelligence, just embedded, it's not always transparent how it's applying the rules that it has. Um, you don't know what rules are being followed. You know, there's rules, right? I don't know why my phone auto suggests certain things. I know it does, right? And it's not telling me in the moment, well, I'm suggesting that you want to use this word because you used it this time before, right? It doesn't do that. It just says, here's the word. Um, you know, and that's what happens when it's embedded. We don't know exactly why, you know, Amazon is suggesting that book versus another. It just is. Um, which in those examples, not a whole lot of harm. <clears throat> when you're talking about don't pick this person, promote this person, <laughs> um, you know, or other, you know, they, this person's likely to quit. Not that, 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 you know, the robots can really do that, but, you know, trying to predict at that level, you don't always know why it's predicting what it is, right? It's, the math isn't always perfectly transparent unless it's, you know, built around that. But I think that's a hallmark of sort of ethical AI is the transparency around the algorithm. Um, there are some tools out there. Uh, quick shout out to my friends at One Model and their One AI product, where it's very open about well, here's what the, the the robot has discovered. Here's what the machines found, and how we would apply that in our prediction. Um, that's really important because then you can see, okay, well, it's using this variable in this way, just to make sure that you're not taking an embedded bias you didn't know about and just applying it more broadly, or you know, making a decision off of factors that you really just need to exclude, but it's showing up anyway. So that transparency of the algorithm is always something to be testing for and kind of asking about as as AI becomes a bit more embedded in our day-to-day -day work. Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about ethical AI, it's going to have legal implications because there's definitely states and cities that are you know, passing laws and ordinances that are, uh, you know, or at least considering them that, you know, have, um, you know, some thresholds of like, if you're using an AI system to make decisions that make major impacts on people's lives, like hiring them or firing them or, you know, excluding them from your applicant pool or, um, you know, those types of, uh, you know, different decisions about people. If you're doing that using an algorithm, um, you know, they're going to expect that you've audited that algorithm and that you have, you know, tested it for bias and that you've, uh, you know, that you do have, you know, that it, they can't all just be black boxes and you, you you can't just, I don't think that 10 years from now you'll be able to shrug your shoulders and say, it's what the computer told us. So that's why, you know, we excluded all of these people from this job. I think you made a comment in a previous episode around, you know, where there's regulation, it suggests that there's promise, right? Yeah. <laughs> and some staying power. And, you know, even the, the U.S. government has published a blueprint around an AI bill of rights, right? Making sure that 
systems don't have, you know, broad harm uh, as a government might define it. So not, not advocating for it, just commenting that the existence of such regulations suggests that there's there's something real here to be thinking about. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly always fun to talk about artificial intelligence with you, Brian, because it's talking to somebody with real intelligence about uh, the artificial intelligence. <laughs> so. Or or you're easy to convince. Uh, either way, one one or the other. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's true. Um, yeah, I'm just highly impressionable. Yeah. But uh, I, I definitely appreciate uh, the conversation and your your wisdom and, and history lessons associated uh, in this space, for sure. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. It's good times. Always. Always. I just going to say, maybe in the next episode I can uh, try to, you know, sell you some, uh, you know, real estate or something if I, if I can get an impression <laughs> on in, in the metaverse, in the me- We all know how much I love real estate in the metaverse. Yeah. Well, then we'll see if you're impressionable or not. There we go. That'll be the true test. Excellent. Um, For all of you out there, thank you for listening. Um, If you found this episode helpful or enjoyable, I'm hoping you can do a few things for us. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to it on your favorite platform so that you don't miss the next episode. Um, If you could also give us a rating, obviously more stars are preferred and maybe even write a review so that those podcast robots can use those ratings and recommendations to surface them to others with similar interest as you. And then third, if you can tell a contact about the episode, and um, I mentioned in a previous episode that uh, we've got an incentive program going on this. If you want to go to LinkedIn and find the Novo Insights post that shares this episode, then go ahead and reshare that to your network. A fun HR-themed T-shirt will be coming your way. Um, All you have to do is make sure that you share that post within a month of us posting it. Um, and I'll get in touch with you and you can pick out your shirt and it'll find its way to you. Uh, Brian, you're not allowed. Uh, neither are you mom if you're listening. Um, but, uh, you can select what fun HR shirt you want. Last time I talked about my, at least I'm not a lawyer t-shirt. Um, I've also been reminded that one that people enjoy, I was at a, a legal conference where I brought a bunch of these. It was It's a t-shirt that says, I don't terminate people. People terminate themselves. Just to make sure it's clear that our, our role in HR is really not always our doing. Uh, but there's a, a set of them. I'll give you a choice and uh, it'll come your way. But all you have to do is to share this with your network on LinkedIn so that others can find us. That would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. And if they share it on LinkedIn, then the robots will know what that they should have the same Amazon shopping list as you. And they'll start getting all your book recommendations too, without, uh, without even asking. That's true. <laughs> You'll get uh, nerdy, nerdy Person. books, dog food, and child toys. Legos uh, would be what would show up. There's the hallmark. If that starts showing up <laughs> your suggestions, then you know that you're on the Paul Ryman track. You are one of the five. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Novo Insights, where we help people teams use data to make a bigger impact in their organization. Again, thanks for listening. Until next time. Let's be honest. You don't know why your candidates accept or decline your offers. Recruiter feedback is unstructured and probably a bit biased. 
So why not listen to your candidates in a way that generates real insight into their experience and decision-making? Novo Attract gathers better feedback from your candidates through the candidate cycle. It helps you better understand the candidate experience, and most importantly, helps you know why talent accepts or declines your offers. The Novo Attract dashboard makes it easy to understand what matters, and our analysts make sure the data is used and put into action. Check us out at www.novoinsights.com slash novoattract.